Scripture passage this morning is John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,645. 1,645. As you turn there, let me remind you that we are in the series of Explore God Chicago, covering seven big questions. You could maybe say they're the, the most Googled questions about the Christian faith that people who, you are, who are curious about Christianity may ask. We've talked about, is there a God? Does life have a purpose? Is Christianity too narrow? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Um, this morning, the question before us is, is Jesus really God? Is Jesus really God? Read with me John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but... The darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came... To that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, a very familiar passage to many of you, often called the prologue to John's gospel. And if you could turn to Isaiah chapter 9, page 1072, another familiar passage to many of you, verse 6. Page 1072, we have a New Testament and Old Testament reading this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. As far as the reading of God's holy word, the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. A look at her ministries has been doing a particular uh, work of gathering information for a few years now. And they put it up on a website. They've done this together with Lifeway Publications. And it's assessing the level of aptitude that evangelical Christians have for the core truths of Christianity. It's called the State of Theology. And you can go online and you can... Type out stateoftheology.com, and it will uh, pop up and show you the way that these evangelicals have answered these questions. And they recently updated it after doing a poll in 2017. And one of the interesting, most interesting finds to me uh, concerning this uh, information that they've gathered is that they asked this question. There is one true God and three persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they asked him if they strongly disagree all the way up to strongly agree. 95% said they strongly agree. This is what the Bible teaches. One God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we're good. We're good on that. It's pretty good. Okay, okay. American evangelicals were doing all right. Next question. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 73% strongly agree. And this is a rise from 64% to 73% in 2017. 64% in 2014, 73% strongly agreed in 2017. So 95%, yes, God and three persons, 73% Arians. That's what the heresy is, that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Needless to say, we've got a problem, right? We've got a problem of understanding who God is. And we need to deal with it. So I think it's very important, and I think it's very beneficial, that we're addressing the question this morning, is Jesus really God? Because according to Ligonier Ministries, in their most recent poll, 73% say, no. He's the greatest being created by God. You can't be God if you're created by God. So, I'm going to give you the answer up front, okay? Jesus is God. All right, we're dismissed. We can go home. We can declare that. Yes, we know that. Jesus is God. But I think what's more important is to ask, why is that important? Jesus is God, but why is it important that we declare that as the church, that that is our confession, that Jesus is God? 
the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. God the Son has existed throughout all time. Who came and put on flesh. Why is that important? And in order to answer that question, I want to look at two things. Number one, it's important because Scripture reveals it. Number two, it's important because salvation requires it. Scripture reveals it, and salvation requires it, okay? So let's look at that first point, Scripture reveals it. And we're going to talk more about the Scriptures, the Bible, why it's important, can it be trustworthy, because next Sunday is that question, is, is the Bible reliable? But I want to lay some groundwork here, okay? I want to lay some groundwork because I believe firmly that the only way that anybody comes to the conclusion and the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity, he's God the Son, and he has existed throughout all time, is not because you're smart enough to figure it out. It's because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to you by means of God's word. Okay? First of all, what is the Bible? A lot of times here at Cottage Grove, we assume, as I think in some ways we should, that everybody knows the importance of the scriptures and that it shouldn't be bizarre for us to open up God's word And listen to it as authoritative. And listen to it as coming from God himself. And that it has something to say about the way we live our lives. And what we're called to do. And how we're moved to action or application of what God's word is saying. But you don't often think that most people don't live their lives like that. You don't often think in our little Christian bubble... How strange and bizarre it really is that we as a people stand around a book that's thousands of years old and believe and have the conviction that this is the very word of God. So, let's lay some groundwork. What is the Bible? Well, in one of our confessions of faith, that is uh, what we as a church believe... It's called the Belgic Confession. There's a couple of articles right at the beginning of this confession that tells us what the Bible is. Article 2 talks about the means by which God is revealed to us. And the first, of course, we talked about is general revelation that everyone knows that God exists because God has revealed himself in nature and the things that he's created. But the second part is about how we come to know God savingly, how we come to know God as a redemptive way, right? And he says he makes himself, God is, makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word, that is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life, to his glory and our salvation. It's the inspired revelation of God that contains within it everything we need to know in order for God to be glorified and for us to have Salvation. That is to say, the Bible is not Google. The Bible is Google about spiritual matters, if that makes sense. The Bible does not tell us how to convert meters into feet. 
or so on and so forth. It does not tell us how many calories are in a gallon of milk. It's not an all-encompassing book about everything, but it is the book that reveals to us who God is and how He's saved us. Article 3 goes on to say of God's Word, We confess that this Word of God was not sent nor delivered by the will of man, but that men spoke from God, being moved by the Holy Spirit, as the Apostle Peter says, and that afterwards God, from a special care which he has for us in our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit his revealed word to writing, and he himself wrote with his own finger the two tables of the law. Therefore we call such writings holy and divine scriptures. This is the conviction that we have, that this is not a book like other books. It is not one book among many. It is the holy, divine word of God. It's authoritative. But and more importantly, it means that God is not absent and silent from our lives. He has revealed himself to us in a way that we can understand so that we may truly come to know him. He gives us his word and he sends us his spirit to enlighten us that through it we may come to know him truthfully. Okay, so that's what the Bible is, but why do we need it? Why do we need it? We need it so that we may know what to believe about God and what God requires of us. So we may know God and all his works and how we are to worship him in spirit and in truth, so that we may know how God has provided salvation for us. I know this uh, may be strange to consider, but imagine that right now there are all, all kinds of things happening over, all over the world that we do not know of. We live in a modern time where we feel as if we need to know everything. And we watch the news and we hear of tragedies and we think that we have this broader knowledge of what's going on in this world. But there are many tragedies that we never hear reports on. There are many things that happen that we do not know of. Now imagine a God who would do something for our salvation and then not reveal it to us, report it to us, so that we would know about it. That is not the God of Scriptures. The God of Scripture has revealed to us exactly what we need to know in order to be saved from our sin. We need the Scriptures because it is the way in which we come to know the God of Scriptures. It would be as if I wrote you a letter. I know many of you probably don't know what that is in the era of text messages, but you take a pen, you write it down, you write a letter, which is how much communication was done in the past. I say, this is back in the old day, and I, I met a lady, and I came to know her and married her, but it was too far to travel to make any sort of plans. So I write a letter home to my family, and I say, this is my wife. And I describe her to her, to, to my family, as much detail as I can about who she is, what her background is, what she looks like, and say, we plan on visiting in so many days. And so we show up, they've read the letter, they know the description of who my wife is, and I say, this is my wife, and they were to say, no, it's not. 
No, it's not. We need the scriptures so that we can know who God is and so that God can keep us accountable to who he is. Does that make sense? For because now we have the word, if we read the word or if we're told what the word says and then we deny what it proclaims, we are held accountable to it. So we know what the Bible is. We know why we need it. But what does it say concerning the question, is Jesus really God? Well, it says quite a bit, and I'm going to try to summarize it for us this morning. But first, let me give you a big flyover plan of what the story of redemption is. We've fallen into sin. God makes the promise in Genesis 3.15 that there's going to be a seed of the woman. So the first thing that we know is that the Messiah that is to come is going to be a man, a human being, right? The seed of the woman. And then all throughout the Old Testament, we are told by the prophets the promise of Messiah. You remember I read Isaiah chapter 9. That's one among many. There is a religion built around this Yahweh God. It's monotheistic. There's one God, one true God. That is the firm and foundational conviction of the Jewish people. We believe in one God. We confess one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. But we hear about this coming Messiah. We hear that he's going to be a king. A king like David and Solomon. He's going to be a son of David, right? From the royal line of David. He's going to be a powerful king who has a kingdom which is more prosperous than the kingdom of Solomon. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. And then here comes Jesus. And in the moment that Jesus is revealed, the Israel's view of God explodes. There is a continual, over and over again, amazement concerning the mystery that is revealed in the gospel in the New Testament. Read it over and over again. Paul says the mystery that is revealed. The mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery is that the way that God has saved us in Jesus Christ is far beyond what the Jews could consider or even think and ponder in their mind. It's greater than they could imagine. And it is what Jesus butts up against in the Gospels over and over and over again. That he is not what they expected, but he is exactly what they needed. And what is that? It is this that Jesus butts up against over and over again. That he was not simply an Israelite from the family of David. He was not simply of the royal Davidic line. He was not simply a woman or a man who was born of the, of the woman. He is not simply those things. But that he is God. 
that he's gone. And how do we know that? Well, John chapter 1 is one of the best places to go in order to defend what we call the deity of Christ or the divine character of Christ, the divine claims of Christ. John sets up in his gospel these firm and foundational truths that he will continue to go on and expound throughout his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now here in verse 1, the echoes of Genesis chapter 1 that tells us that what's going on with Jesus Christ is, can be considered maybe a new creation. And that what's going on with Jesus Christ here is already being keyed into. And that is that Jesus preexisted with God, but that he is God. You can't imagine what is being told for us in one verse here right at the beginning of John's gospel. John is saying Jesus is to be distinguished from God, but that Jesus is identified with God. He was with God. He is God. And then we're told he was with God in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who was there? Jesus. Through him... The word that is all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. So here we're being told that not only Jesus was he there in the beginning when all things came into creation, but that he mediated creation, that all things came to be through Jesus. That all things came into existence through God the Son. Verse 14, we're told something that is profound. And would have been beyond the Israelites' wildest imagination to hear. But something we have become so familiar with. It's almost become common to us. Verse 14. The Word. Keeping in mind all the things that were said about Him before. That He was with God in the beginning. That He is God. That all things were created through Him. That He preexisted with God. That all things were created in this world through Him. That word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word, who is to be distinguished from God, but who is God, became flesh and tabernacled among us. He is the fulfillment of what the tabernacle and the temple We're always to point to. He is the fulfillment of the glory of God revealed in the Son, full of grace and truth. And John chapter 1, verse 15 says, John the Baptist concerning Christ, the Word, cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. John, the Baptist, was born before Jesus. This is not what John, the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is talking about. He's talking about the preexistence of Christ. The Christ comes before. Christ is the only begotten of God. He has intimate union with God the Father before all time. and He reveals the Father to us. C.S. Lewis was once asked, 
about Jesus. He responded in writing with, I think, a very helpful tool. At his time, many people were going around with a positive view of Jesus Christ. They were saying, we like this Jesus. He's a good teacher, a good moral teacher. His character should be reflected. But all this God and sin and, and judgment and all that stuff, you know, forget that. But we like this Jesus. There's a lot of people who are still like that today. And C.S. Lewis had enough of it. He said, I don't want to hear any more of these people saying that Jesus is simply a good teacher. And I'll tell you why he said that. Because Christ made specific claims about himself that were not misunderstood to the people he was speaking to. Christ claimed equality with God the Father, and so much so that the religious leaders wanted to kill him. Christ said before Abraham was, I am, and they wanted to stone him. Christ said he would come to judge the living and the dead, and they understood that. And I'll tell you why the people that Christ came to understood exactly why he was, what he was saying, the content of what he was saying, what he was claiming, equality with God the Father, that he was God become flesh. They crucified him. And the charge brought against Jesus Christ was that of blasphemy, claiming equality with God. So this is what C.S. Lewis said, either Christ was lying about what he was saying, which would be rather odd considering how many people continued to believe what he said even into death following his resurrection, or that he was crazy, he was a loony bin. Or that Jesus is exactly who he proclaimed to be. He is Lord. Those are the only options that you have. He's a Lord. He's a liar. Or he's a lunatic. Well, let's move then to the second point now that we've laid that foundation. I told you that why it's important that we confess that Jesus is God is because Scripture reveals it. Because salvation requires it. If you look up a definition for salvation, uh, you might find a, 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 a definition that's not religious. It says preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. It's being rescued from a position of danger. It's a dependency on the strength and power of someone else. That is what salvation is. But why do we need salvation? It's a good question, right? Well, the harm that we're being saved from is the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden. The ruin was the curse given to us all because of their disobedience and the loss was our unhindered communion and glorification of God. We talked about that already when we discussed whether our life has a purpose. Sin is our problem. But sin is not our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is the holiness of God. 
For God did not reveal himself to us as ultimately holy. Our sin would be not an issue. But because God is holy and righteous and cannot be in the presence of sin, our sin then becomes a problem. The sin that we are born into as being fallen in Adam and the sin that we personally commit. Sin is the reason that we all are deserving of God's wrath and punishment. Sin is the reason we are separated from God. Sin is the reason that we were confessing through the Psalms, the words of the psalmist. Our many sins before the Father in heaven. Sin is the reason that we're separated from Him, from our purpose of life glorify God and enjoy Him forever because of sin, because of our fallen condition. We cannot do it. We're created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And in the state that we have, our, have fallen into, we are unable to do either. But that's not where the sermon ends. If it were, we would be without hope. Lost and fallen in this world. But we're answering the question this morning, is Jesus really God? And why is it important that we confess that Jesus is God? Why it is exactly that in the history of redemption and the mystery of the gospel being revealed that the expectation of the Messiah far goes beyond anything that the Israelites could possibly imagine that Jesus became flesh, that he was God and became flesh. Why is it that we need the God-man? I mean, why did it have to be Christ? Why the God the Father sent the sign. Why couldn't he have done it some other way? Well, I think our catechism beautifully answers this question in Lord's Day 5 and 6 as it begins to reveal to us the source of our salvation and redemption, the one in whom we find all comfort and hope. It says... According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both in this world and forever after. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of his justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Now, can we pay this debt ourselves? Actually, no. We increase our guilt every day. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No, to begin with, God will not punish another creature for man's guilt. Besides, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it. Well, what kind of man and mediator and deliverer should we look for then? He must be truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, he must be true God. Why must he be truly human and truly righteous? God's justice demands it. Man has sinned. Man must pay for his sin, but a sinner cannot pay for others. 
And why must he also be true God? So that by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. And who is this mediator? True God and at the same time truly human and truly righteous? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given us to set us completely free and to make us right with God. People of God, Jesus is God. But why it's important is because Scripture has revealed it to us and salvation requires it. We, the people of God, confess that Jesus is the God-man because we know that Jesus bore on the cross the wrath of God deserving for us. And he, the only way he could do that, the only way he could represent us is if he was himself a man. But the only way he could do so and live and by the power of resurrection overcome sin and death for us all is if he was God. This is not simply a theological fact. This is the lifeblood of Christianity. If Jesus is not God, we are all to be pitied the most, and we have no hope. But thanks be to God, the one who will save me from this body of death is none other than Jesus Christ. The God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. God the Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. May you find hope and comfort and conviction and the love of God expressed in that wonderful and amazing truth. Amen. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you have saved us. That you have brought salvation to us in Jesus Christ. God the Son, the Son of God. God with us. The God-man. That you have redeemed us in such a wonderful, mysterious, and amazing way. May we forever be enamored with the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we with confidence know that it is because of who Christ is that we have been redeemed from all our sins and given perfect righteousness. That we in Christ have overcome sin and death. And we have hope for the future. And may we have confidence to share that with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand to sing with me.